Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I don't feel the need to manage him any more than he feels the need to manage me because we both believe wholeheartedly in what we are building. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the Vice President of Cloud and Security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. Today's personal spot is about how this month, June 2022, I believe is the 10-year anniversary of kicking off my company, We Are LA Tech, and I am doing absolutely nothing to celebrate. (laughs) And you know, I just don't even feel like celebrating, and I think there's something about that that's so sad. I just feel like I'm the one that did all the hard work. Why do I need to be the one that does more hard work to put together some sort of celebration? (laughs) So I don't know, maybe I'll celebrate a few years from now. (laughs) Who knows? Right now I'm taking a walk and I'm pretty, that's where you hear all the the city life in the background. But um, here, let me step into this park where it's a bit more quiet. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's weird that, you know, I've been consistent for so long, put in so much love and dedication and resource and stamina into this company and I'm not celebrating. I don't know. What do you think about that? Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Portugal and Lisbon. Welcome, April Lynn. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am beyond excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here. You know, I'm absolutely inspired by you. You're just an incredible creator. You're an incredible woman in tech. You have made such an impact online in such a short amount of time. I cannot wait to share your story. I know so much about your story, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Okay, gosh, thank you so much for that intro. Um, I am just as inspired by you, if not more. I just want to say that you are absolutely incredible. And I tell everyone that I can about you. So just putting that out there. That's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I used to be on Wall Street, decided that I did not want to spend my entire life uh, neck deep in Excel models, quit that, then gave myself one year to kind of see if I could make it on my own before getting a new job if I had to. So I tried a zillion different things. I would say at this point, probably a full-time creator. I've tried consulting, I've tried freelancing, I tried YouTube, I tried building an audience on Twitter, lots of different hands and lots of different pots. And now I'm at a stage where I'm starting to like build up a YouTube empire with different paid products and seeing how all the different pieces tie together. You indeed are building a YouTube empire. Do you want to share a little bit about your stats on this empire that you have launched? <laughs> sure. Um, so I started my YouTube channel in July, so right after I quit. And I had absolutely no experience with any sort of audio, visual, anything whatsoever. I got monetized on YouTube um, in December. And since then, I have over 21,000 subscribers on YouTube, over a million views on YouTube. And yeah, it's one of the primary sources of income at this point. And are you comfortable sharing like one of your, I know you post some stuff on Twitter, so that's why I think it's okay to ask, one of your big paydays so someone could have a perspective of going from zero on YouTube and what's possible in a day? Uh, yeah, like a single day. Yeah, just one day that you're like, whoa, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> yeah, just one day, one day I made like $111 just on like a single day from YouTube, purely from AdSense. This isn't even taken into account any sort of sponsorships or brand deals or anything else. Just purely from AdSense, $111 one day. That's so cool. It's so cool that you went from nothing to something. And I know that YouTube has overall been super lucrative and you post about your financial journey on your Twitter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think people will want to plug in. Where can they find you on Twitter and what, what should they be expecting? Yeah, on Twitter, I am at Aprilin A. And through Twitter, I really just like to share my journey through life as a full-time creator. I like to share different uh, lessons I've learned about building an audience from nothing. And for me, I guess like authenticity and transparency are the absolute most important things on social media. So when I post, I love to give kind of like a behind the scenes of what do my financials look like? What different projects am I trying out? Did they go well? Did they not go well? What went wrong if they didn't go well? What would I do differently in the future? Kind of in the, the idea of maybe I can make a bunch of these mistakes while trying out something new so that other people looking in might not make the exact same mistakes as I do. So that's a, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, imagine everyone, like if you're not on YouTube right now and it feels so far away, like April Lynn wasn't on YouTube. It was so far away. And then, you know, within months, because she put in the work, she studied how to do it the right way. And I know you were part of a program that you were really proud of, which you, if you would like, you're, you're welcome to share as well. She was able to launch a channel, make it successful. Can you picture if you were able, you as in the audience, are able to make 
$100 a day in passive income by committing. I mean, these are the kind of opportunities that are possible if you really put in the diligent work to being an effective creator. What resources did you utilize in order to uh, develop your YouTube channel and your other projects as a creator? Yeah. Okay, man, where where to even start? I just want to say in the very beginning, so much of my entire creator entrepreneur journey has come through Twitter. I tell everyone that I can, look, if you want to it's like build something new, if you want to get into like the whole tech indie hacker entrepreneurial realm, check out Twitter. I think that Twitter, at least for me, has been the most important asset that I've had since quitting my full-time job. Pretty much everything that I've learned has been indirectly tied back to Twitter. Just want to put that out there first. Uh, the like network effects that you can receive are absolutely monumental. And where can people find you on Twitter? At Aprilin A. And so from there, I would say a couple like key resources that I absolutely love. One is just Indie Hackers. I love IndieHackers.com, love everything that they're doing over there. Also, the when learning about kind of how to YouTube, some YouTube channels that have been really great for me to learn about has been Catherine Manning. Um, they're like, she's amazing. Um, she has a lot, a lot of her older content is about how to get started on YouTube really for the earlier stages. And what really launched me into like the next stratosphere of success on YouTube was taking the part-time YouTuber Academy or PTYA run by Ali Abdal. And that's, is a six week long cohort based course all about getting started, um, and beyond on YouTube. And that's really when I learned so much of like the tangible tactics and strategies when thinking about my YouTube channel that really was able to get me to the next level. It's so cool. And just to be on the reel with everyone, how realistic has your success been on YouTube? Can anyone listening now have the same outcome? What was the special ingredient that really catapulted you to be able to find success so quickly? Yeah, I will say it's I strongly believe that anyone can achieve this type of result in terms of how much money you're making on YouTube or how many subscribers you have on YouTube. I will say that I am definitely an outlier in terms of how much time it took. I was very lucky that um, I was able to blow up on YouTube so quickly out of the gate. But beyond that, I truly believe that really anyone wanting to start on YouTube it might take a year, it might take two years, but posting consistently and improving with every video will get you there. For me, I had a couple of things working for me to get me to a point where I was able to blow up so quickly. One was the niche that I was in. It's like a very new niche that I kind of blew up in. And it's the the niche is like NFTs and crypto. I hesitate saying that because I know that so many people have biases against the NFT world. But there were not many like female voices in this space whatsoever. And there weren't many voices taking technical concepts and simplifying them. Most all the content you saw about NFTs at that point were like crypto bros and like guys liking to throw around different types of lingo. So for one, my content was very nuanced in the space, very easy to differentiate myself. To the production quality, I was starting to improve over time, so I just got a nice light, nothing too fancy, but enough to say, hey, I'm serious about this. The third thing, at least for me, was an emphasis of like storytelling, even within a niche where there isn't a ton of storytelling in general. So, and then also I just want to throw in like 
hey, luck. Like that is definitely an aspect as well. Um, I was lucky in that a particular video of mine did blow up when it did. I'll say with the caveat that most YouTubers do experience some sort of virality in their career if they stick with it long enough. I was lucky in that that moment of virality happened so early, but the chances of that happening increase the longer that you post on YouTube. So someone might see it within a year, someone might see it within two years, but usually it does happen. So yeah, those are kind of some of the basic factors that went into this. And before we move on to your startup, which I'm so excited to talk about, um, just to give everyone a, a takeaway, I've learned in my creator journey related to YouTube, thumbnail, 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 thumbnail. It's like the most important part of the YouTube ecosystem. Do you agree or disagree? <laughs> yeah, I would say thumbnail and title. Thumbnail, oh, absolutely. Title. But I think titles are like underrepped a lot. Wow. Um, I would say, yeah. yeah, yeah. Give us like, examples. Uh, I don't, I haven't even heard too much about titles. Yeah. Okay. So one example is I had a video. I knew that I had a good thumbnail because I looked at the thumbnail and it's like this, I, I knew from my experience, this is a good thumbnail, but it was just not performing at all. And it was like, like five out of 10, which isn't that bad out of like you, YouTube gives you stats, which means out of the last, out of your 10 most recent videos, how did this perform out of 10? This was right in the middle, which I knew it could be one out of 10, but something was off. And it was literally just the title. I brought it up with some YouTuber friends. We thought about it. I changed the title and immediately it started taking off. And it was just the title. Thumbnails, I will say the thumbnails are so important because I have to work with the title to tell a story. The thumbnails work with the title to build intrigue or to tell people click on this video. If you you could have like the best thumbnail in the world, but if the title isn't something that complements it, usually people won't click on it. So they have to work in tandem. What tweaks did you make to your title? Do you happen to remember? Like what was it before and what was it after? The thumbnail is like me pointing to my phone, which has a picture of like a V friend, which is a type of NFT from Gary V. There's an arrow pointed to that. And I'm making some sort of like slightly, I don't know, slightly emotion face, not not huge emotion. That's not really my brand. We're just looking at it like with like a curious face and words saying, start doing this. And my title to begin with was how to make your NFTs not suck. And that was the title. And then I changed it to why 99% of NFTs won't sell. Exact same Ooh. thumbnail. But just change the title and literally immediately within the like within a few hours, the chart started going up and to the right. Wow. I could hear it. I mean, the second title is way better. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what did you do to get feedback? Like, who did you go to? Where was that brainstorm group? Yeah. OK, so. When I actually first brought it up, um, part of Part-Time YouTuber Academy, PTYA, is like a lifetime lasting kind of community membership. So at that time, they were having like a monthly type of Q&A or symposium or type of thing that they had with some people from the PTYA community. And in the Q&A, I brought up this and I said, I have this video and I swear it could be performing better, but please, like what is wrong with this? 
with this title and thumbnail. Um, and that was like everyone kind of brainstormed some ideas and that that was where I got that. So, yeah. And honestly, kind of like bigger picture, having a community uh, so essential, especially when I was just starting out my YouTube journey. It was just was so isolating when you're doing something and maybe none of your friends are doing that same thing. You can feel like you're the only person doing that thing. And it can be difficult to stick with it and remain consistent if you feel alone. So having a community there and I have like a I, I joined like another type of weekly get together YouTuber meeting with some other folks. That was one of, the, one of the key things for me and even just being able to stay consistent with YouTube. Totally. So inspiring. Tell us about um, your startup. Tell us all the things. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin because I want to ask you all the things all at once because I'm so excited. <laughs> Tell us about your startup. Yeah. Okay. So my startup Tenderfoot, it started as a side project back even when I was working on in my full-time job. The idea there, which like how it started and is continued with the vision is to connect students with internships at startups, with creators, with nonprofits, and really with any other types of non-traditional opportunities. The whole idea is that like, as like a fresh graduate out of a top university, I realized that so much of the top talent was going into big finance, big tech, big law. And most of those places were only services for other companies. So in general, not very much new value was being created in the world. A lot of the new value was coming from startups, um, from creators, from builders. And most of the top talent was being recruited into somewhere else because that's where a lot of the money was. And I saw this and I saw so many of my peers, my classmates, even myself, heck, like I also originally sold my soul to corporate finance. Um, being pulled in this direction, I thought, gosh, if only there were a way, there were a way for more students to see how much is possible beyond the scope of what is normalized. And internships were a great way to do this because they're pretty low stakes. You can go to an internship and if you love it, that may change your life. And if you hate it, hey, you know that that's not for you and it was only a summer. That's okay. So that's kind of where it started. And what is it now? What, why would we come to you? Yeah. Okay. So Tenderfoot has changed a bit since then. There are so many different ups and downs and switched co-founders partway through and different types of like visa sagas. And how things stand today is we've done the customer validation. We've done the idea validation as well. And we have made some revenue just to like test it out, just to see, hey, our company is able to, like, our company is willing to spend money on finding a top tier intern and really understanding what are they looking for. After that validation step was done, that was really when we when we said, okay, now it's time to build. Right now, Tenderfoot is a little bit more in stealth mode because I'm spending this year traveling and my co-founder is spending the year actually like working at a different company just so he can build up enough runway to be able to not have to work for maybe a year or a year and a half without worrying about money. So he's doing that right now. I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing and we're working on Tenderfoot kind of on the side currently until we're getting back together in person about a year from now. So my focus for this stage is to 
prepare as much as I can to get to a point where we're ready to either raise or apply to, like, say, Y Combinator a year from now. Um, get everything that I can to put us in the best spot to do that at that point. And kind of like strategizing, what can I do now? What should I be doing now? What should I be learning now? What should I be building now to get us to that point? Almost every day, we have new people signing up for our waiting list. It's just like a, it, it just it blows my mind. And it really tells me that startups and students really want this and they really need this. And every single day, more just pulled to make my progress and get to the point like I cannot wait until my co-founder and I are back together in person building just looking forward to that day and how did you meet your co-founder I was actually interning at a startup Um, this was back in college I interned for a series a VC backed startup in Silicon Valley I was the 13th hire there and the fourth hire was an engineer his name's Akash And we became fast friends. So that was years ago. We met through that and we have stayed in touch since then. And what do you think makes for a strong co-founder relationship? I will say I am so incredibly lucky to have Akash because we are so aligned on literally everything. I'm spoiled. I have worked with other people and I found myself like comparing them to my relationship with Akash because I am like spoiled out of my mind from the type of relationship he like we have. Never once during our time working together have either of us uttered the words, I don't understand what, what you're saying. We are very aligned in terms of vision. Um, and we also, and this might be a bigger piece, we know how to communicate with each other very well. Um, I do think that it helps that we are friends and we know each other very well and we've known each other for a long time, but we know how to pick up on the little things of like, hey, the other person is feeling a little bit low on energy. Let's like go for a walk and get coffee or hey, like something is up. Let's like ask, what are you thinking about? And our work styles are also very similar and both of our passion, I think that's also a huge thing, passion for product I don't feel the need to manage him any more than he feels the need to manage me because we both believe wholeheartedly in what we are building and we trust each other. That's also a huge part. Uh, We are totally fine taking a year apart, working remotely, separately, giving me the space to do my thing, giving him the space to do his thing. We trust each other to be able to show up when we need to and that we're going to be aligned because I guess like if there if if there isn't trust in a co-founder relationship things really start to break down very quickly oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and one other accolade you have that I don't think you ever talk about but I'm going to talk about it is you are a master of creating slides I know you probably even think that I'm funny to say that publicly. I legit had a consulting session with April Lynn because she teaches the boot camps on certain topics that she knows a lot about. And I think that her boot camps have the most extraordinary slides, engaging slides, attention grabbing slides that I've ever seen. So much so that I hired her to teach me how to make slides. Like, And this testimonial is, I just taught a session And people have been through my previous sessions where I gave, I think, pretty much the same information, even more extensively. 
But because in this particular session that I did yesterday, I used the tactics April Lynn shared on how to create slides, people said that I have given the most value that I've ever given. And I'm like, the only difference is that I had slides. <laughs> that was it, <laughs> that was the main difference. You're out there and you're thinking about how to fundraise or you're looking to create a presentation internally or externally. If you're looking to create a webinar, like any kind of thing where you need to start creating slides, yo, go to April Lynn. Like she's a master of it. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. I want to kind of like uh, push this back to you because one thing that I really appreciate about you and that like you've helped me realize is that I feel like uh, at least for myself, I kind of had the, the idea of like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to YouTube because I've built a YouTube channel and I can see the, the, the statistics. I know what I'm what I what I'm talking about when it comes to building a Twitter audience because I've built a Twitter audience. I see the followers. I see the 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 stats. But when it comes to something like, hey, either building slides or structuring content in an engaging way, that's not something that I usually receive external validation for. You've helped me realize that, hey, this is a skill and this is a valuable skill, something that I had literally never, ever thought about before. Um, it kind of like helped open my eyes to, wait a second, even if a skill isn't as publicly and externally validated as others, it doesn't mean that it's less important or less useful or that it doesn't deserve to be shared. And so like just based on what you've told me um, from that first Twitter workshop that I gave to your own community, I started thinking about, hey, what are the other aspects? What are other things that I do routinely or that I take for granted that other people might not know about? And how can I share more of that publicly, either on Twitter or on YouTube or something else? Totally. You know, what's interesting about saying about external feedback is because Everyone in my community, when you taught your Twitter boot camp, definitely was like, whoa, she was amazing. That was great. I got so much. Many of us don't really look at the world and inspect it in this way. They would say, the reason I got so much value is because her slides were really engaging. I, people don't talk like that. They just say like, oh, that was an amazing session. She was such a great speaker. And because I study content and uh, building effective community regularly all day long, I really um, explore like like an inspector the the elements that are contributing to making a community effective to making an experience extraordinary what are the mini details that aren't being noticed like in my podcasting production one of my favorite things that I've really missed out on in the pandemic has been guests meeting one another when they would leave my studio and come into my studio they would cross paths and I did that on purpose so that they would meet one another so then when somebody would be sharing oh my gosh it's the best to be on a Spree's podcast they would probably not say it's because Esprit like made sure that I met a guest in between exiting and arriving they would just say, oh, it's the best experience being honest with you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. You're right. Explore those skills, April Lynn. Explore those skills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just like 
just too like they're and they're so hidden and makes it difficult to understand truly like what is like what is your spe- your special sauce or like what do other people feel like is your special sauce unless you're engineering it yourself and this is something that I've tackled um, not tackled yet but more like want to tackle I'm thinking about when it comes to even like YouTube content and Twitter content if I write a good thread there are two different types of reactions I either get comments saying great thread or I don't get any comments or, at all no one is really saying why they really loved a thread or why they didn't. People are just silent if they don't. And it's something I think like as a content creator, as a builder, trying to understand what does the audience actually think? Um, What do they like and what do they not like? And how can you pick up on those? And for me, a lot of that has just been asking them, just like (laughs) asking a bunch of questions, because if you don't ask often, you won't know. Totally. And also keeping in mind, um, I've been thinking about this lately, keeping in mind that people aren't always going to tell you because they don't want to make you feel bad or they don't want to look bad or it takes a lot of courage to speak the truth, especially if the truth, like a person's truth, especially if the truth sounds like it's a criticism or a put down or something like that. And I really want the truth. I really want the feedback. So I think it's helpful to sometimes have I don't know if you call it plants, kind of like your feedback group with your YouTube title. I have different people in my community, very specific people that we have the relationship that I know that they'll tell me truthfully. So yesterday I um, taught a class and there was one moment in the class where I thought I uh, somebody asked me a question and I answered and my answer was kind of like a little mini TED talk. And I'm like, was that actually useful or was was I because my intent wasn't to talk to hear myself. My intent was to be useful, but I don't know if in end I just was talking. And so I asked this other person, I asked the person I was speaking to and they said, no, it was great, but I, I don't have a close rapport with that person. So I asked the person that I have the trusted relationship with. Hey, tell me, was I just really annoying or was that actually useful? And then he was like, no, 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 it was really great. I'm like, okay, good. You got to find your people who will tell you the true, true. When did you first become interested in technology? Uh, I would honestly say somewhat recently in the scheme of things. I, I was never one of those like super tech heavy users in my childhood whatsoever. I was much more of a creative. Like I would like write a lot. Like I use my my laptop, but really only for schoolwork and to write. And it like continued that way. I really only even started to like use computers in different ways when I got into Excel at first. I'm like, whoa, this is super cool. I can start to use Excel to build entire models of things that I can never do myself. And it was really scary getting my internship at that startup in college. Because I had like my idea of like an entrepreneur or a person in tech was like super VC type of Chad person who were like very confident with themselves and kind of like walked with their chin up and could rattle, could like speak really fast and do all of those types of things. And I thought, gosh, I am not one of these people at all. Um, And getting that internship was kind of me thinking, okay, like I have heard of startups before. I've heard how interesting they could be. Let me just try it out and see if it's for me. And it was for me. And that's why I kind of like tying it back to Tenderfoot. 
I think that there are so many other people who might not be into tech um, when they're younger, but an internship could be all that changes potentially their life to understand it's more than just what you think it is. Um, there can be so much more that's out there and could be so fulfilling in ways that you maybe could have never imagined. A hundred percent. Internships are so important to cultivating a strong a strong career, a strong future. Like this, our whole life is about leveling up and taking experiences that we had in the past and applying it to the future to continue to thrive and thrive and thrive. What is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? <laughs> I'm going to actually talk about something that just happened because it's kind of more top of mind. I decided, and I haven't announced this publicly yet, but I'm working on a piece soon. I have decided to quit NFTs. Like <gasps> I'm just, I'm, I'm quitting NFTs. Wow. I'm changing. I know, I know. It's, it's crazy. You know, I have spent so much time building up a reputation as the NFT girl, so much time building up an authority in this space. And for any type of content creator or really like anyone who is in anything kind of, the idea of a transition, especially again for content, the idea of transitioning your content into something else is something that is so scary. It's absolutely terrifying. And it reminds me of when I was quitting Wall Street in the first place, because in the NFT niche, your CPM, which is like, like the cost per mill, the um, money per thousand views that advertisers pay you is incredibly high. Like as uh, as like a reference, uh, most people like let's say you have like a productivity channel, your CPM is going to be eight dollars. For mine, my CPM was twenty six dollars. So it's insanely high. So the money was great. The sponsorship offers that I was receiving was so great. My reputation in the great was um, in the space was amazing. I was getting discovered because of who I let it because of these videos by Business Insider by The Verge and I was getting interviewed by them and all of this was coming from NFTs and so deciding to transition niches was so scary and the idea of gosh I built up all of this and I fully expect my subscribers to like cut in half when I transition, because I'm not going to be talking about NFTs anymore. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying that in terms of like, why, why the heck am I leaving something that has treated me so well, was it was draining. It was not something that I enjoyed. And I realized when I quit Wall Street, it was because I felt like I had untapped potential. And I wanted to be more creative. I wanted to learn a lot more. And I wanted to write a lot more. And through YouTube, I was able to do so. I was able to learn a ton about something I didn't know anything about. I was able to write a ton when scripting my videos. And I scripted my videos word per word. But I realized that for me, it's not just about having the space to learn and write. It was about having the space to learn and write about topics that I was actually interested in or that I wanted to learn and write about. And for NFTs, I realized I was spending countless hours researching topics I truly didn't really care about just for the sake of providing content for other people. And the other people loved it, but I didn't. And it got to the point where like I was just so exhausted every day. I didn't want to show up every day because I didn't want to keep going. Um, and 
this transition was kind of built from that and wondering with like where the heck did I want to go next I kind of focused on what are what are the core things that are important to me and one of them is tenderfoot and I thought okay if my goal is to just get to a point where I'm very prepared a year from now work on tenderfoot and stealth mode until a year from now what are other things that I can do to get prepared for that moment? And I realized having an audience is a competitive advantage. And so if I can build a large audience, maybe even, even community of startup founders and of entrepreneurial minded students, those are the types of people who will be interested in Tenderfoot and maybe even investors will be interested in Tenderfoot when we do decide to raise. So equipped with that knowledge, I was thinking of what type of content am, and I had to check a bunch of different boxes. It had to be something that would appeal to them. It also, as I learned, had to be something that I was actually interested in and excited for intrinsically as opposed to motiv- motivated for extrinsically. And that I wanted all of my strengths to be highlighted. I wanted to be able to use my competitive advantages as much as I can and really leverage them. And so what I decided from that was to really tell the stories of different business successes whether it be more well-known companies like Stripe or Discord or maybe underserved ones like Flow or even Venmo. Most people don't know a ton of like how they started and how they became successful. Really just do a ton of research, listen to podcast episodes where the founders are on research different articles and put get really get a clear picture of what does the story of this business look like? What do the founders like attribute their success to and tell the stories of different companies and always end with lessons and takeaways. One thing that I feel like is missing from a bunch of these types of content that's out there for business storytelling is really clear, key, like tangible takeaways at the end. They just kind of tell the story and leave it. So I really want to focus on what are clear takeaways you can have and maybe even kind of like as a personal aspect, how I intend to use these takeaways in my life or in my businesses and kind of see where that goes. So this is like a brand new direction. I haven't done a ton of it yet. Again, I haven't announced it yet, but I'm very excited for where it's going. I'm so excited that you're excited because I was going to say, first of all, I'm really proud of you. This is not an easy decision. I'm curious right now, like today, do you feel afraid or are you fully all in on excitement i'm all in on excitement i was i was afraid on the days leading up to the decision it was like a decision that has been brooding for the last four months my gut has been telling me transition away from nfts but my head has been saying but this but this but this but this all of these like logical quote unquote logical reasons why I should stay and leading up to like even thinking about making a decision that's where I was scared because I was scared of having to make the decision I was scared of having to realize that nfts weren't for me because I was scared of the unknown I was scared of like not knowing what to do as someone who is kind of like a full-time creator there are basically I mean, to simplify it, there are two states of being. There's the state of being where I'm like, man, I'm a kick-ass creator. I'm doing so great. I'm on top of the world. I live a life that I love. And then there's a state of, who am I kidding? I am just an unemployed bum. And for me, 
The difference in that state is having a clear sense of direction and being confident in that direction. And so I knew that once I decided to step away from NFTs, there would be this period of time where I didn't have a direction. And that was scary. But knowing that it had to happen, being in that space where I was like, okay, I don't have a direction. I feel super low right now. But being confident and trusting myself that I will find a direction that suits me way better, that energizes me instead of draining me. And now that I found a direction, I feel so much better. Yeah, I always say your intuition is your oracle. We don't listen to it all the time, but it's always giving us our GPS system. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I think like with intuition, though, too, sometimes it's difficult, at least for me, to identify is this feeling intuition or is this feeling fear? Because sometimes I have to push through fear um, in order to get to a point where I want to be and that will feel uncomfortable. And that feeling of discomfort is sometimes very similar to the feeling of discomfort when something is against your intuition. So, yeah. It is so, yeah, I agree 100%. Dude, this has been so inspiring. I think this episode is gonna help so many people. A couple last questions. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten? To sum it up, it is bias to action. That's something that uh, a previous mentor told me, and I've really taken it to heart, is the sense of take bias to action. Go ahead and try something new. The worst case scenario is it doesn't work out, but you've learned something that can enable you to do cooler and better things. And that is like the worst case scenario, which is a pretty darn good scenario. Best case scenario is it works out, right? Awesome. Um, And kind of, I used to live my life like as an overachiever, as wanting to only do things that I knew I would be successful at because I was so terrified of failing. But under this new mindset of bias to action and of taking the failure as a win, because again, I'm at least learning something new to enable me to do cooler and better things in the future. It's completely changed the way that I make decisions and that I go and live and try like well, even like what new pursuits I go after. Um, it's been an utter game changer. I love that. Selfish question. Well, second to last selfish question I want to ask is I love software. What's your favorite mobile app or or website? What's your go to? Ooh, um, I'm going to say Figma, actually. I love Figma. I don't have a background in design. I do have a background in art, like painting, but I use Figma for tons of things that I don't think Figma is is meant to be used for. Like I use Figma to make my YouTube thumbnails. Um, It's like as ridiculous as that. I love it. And I'll, I'll use it to like visualize things for myself. And I just, I guess like my brain works in vectors and shapes because that's what I love using Figma for. Love it. And what book do you recommend we read? The one that I absolutely love, I'll say one, it's actually cheating as part of a trilogy. Um, If anyone hasn't been introduced to Brandon Sanderson yet and loves fantasy, here you go. Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn trilogy. The first book was my favorite, but all three were amazing. I'm a big fantasy reader, have always loved it. And the Mistborn trilogy usurped my previous favorite fantasy series. And I think that everyone should read it because 
frankly, it's just good. And sometimes you need a break from business books. I know that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> read it to take a break from business books. Yeah. <laughs> and who, who is a must follow? It could be a podcast or a YouTuber, a blogger, or someone on Twitter. Who should we follow? Um, besides you, ahem. Oh, you're so um, sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I think I would be doing Daniel Vassalo dirty if I did not mention him. Oh, he yes. Was, he was like the like one of the first uh, kind of like indie hacker type of people that I ever came across on Twitter. Um, and just following his journey and understanding his tweets has really like helped me become much more confident in myself. Like I love the way in which he is contrarian, but only to the point of helping me realize that, wait, more than one correct answer can exist for things. And it doesn't have to be quote unquote societies and it doesn't have to be Daniel's. It can just be mine and that is okay. So I think like he has just, his content is great and so much of his mindset has just helped me grow into being a better creator. I agree. Daniel Vassal is a must follow for me too. He, it's just everything he posts is just so worth reading. And I just love how integrity driven he is. It's just it's so rare. Yeah. So check out his community. I don't know that you are. It's the Small Bets community. And follow him on Twitter. We'll include it in the show notes. April, and thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. We have people around the world listening, inspired. What's one thing that we could do to support and accelerate you and your success? The biggest thing, honestly, would just be to give me a follow on Twitter, catch up, keep up with me and maybe a subscribe on YouTube if you're interested in types of business content like that. But yeah, Twitter is the best way. Just get in touch with me. My DMs are open. If you have like any questions, uh, happy to answer. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Ah, yay. So go to April and A on Twitter and you want to spell it for everybody so they, they get it right? Yeah. At A-P-R-I-L-Y-N-N-E-A. Perfect. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Connect and collaborate with amazing people in the Women in Tech community, womenintechvip.com. I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm April and Alter, CEO of Tenderfoot, a platform to connect students with internships at startups and other non-traditional opportunities based in Lisbon, Portugal, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, with help from Janice Geronimo, edited by Corey Jennings, production and voiceover by Adam Carroll, and music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.